What have we got left to look forward to? Us refugees. The flotsam and jetsam of death. Maybe. If we still deserve such a thing as mercy, we find each other. Okay, hello, welcome back to the Being Human cast. Uh, we've been gone a while, but uh, back now finally. Um, I'd just like to quickly have a shout out and a thank you to a few folks on Twitter who've been religiously uh, follow Friday us is that the right way of putting it? Follow Friday? Following Friday? I don't know. Anyway, uh, for many weeks and months now. So there's uh, Anglo Irish Gal, uh, Grace What a Mess, uh, Tommy Noz, uh, Stroke A Wall Tom, and Crafter99. So uh, apologies if I missed anyone, but uh, uh, you guys in particular have uh, um, reminded people out there quite a lot while we've been busy off doing other things. Um, Susie is still ridiculously busy and has been for over a year now um lisa has been busy of late because uh, her job changed and she moved and uh, um, she's been running around doing that but she's hopefully will get her back on the show in a few weeks time um but in the meanwhile i have a very special guest special guest would you like to introduce yourself in between coughing uh, in between coughing yes um sure um i'm my name is jerry Haley, and i'm or one of the hosts of the Signal podcast. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so, uh, yes. So, uh, Kerry is, if you've ever listened to the Signal, uh, one half of the Les and Kerry hosting duo. Um, so, as I joked a minute ago, I have a professional host, so <laughs> an award-winning host. Award-winning. I wouldn't say professional. I don't get paid for it. So, and we- it's not on my resume. <laughs> You should add it on there. I think it'd be a good en- entry on the bottom. So, but, yes, uh, yeah, no, that's uh, going to get me a job. <laughs> you never know. Funny, funnier things have happened. What you want is to go for a job interview and discover that the two folks interviewing are both brown coats and are both huge Signal fans. That would be fantastic. And honestly, in the um, industry in which I work, probably not. I know. Not but, far from the truth. Yeah, but uh, you'd be a shoe in then. It'd be like you know, it, interview, awesome. interview five seconds on like chemistry stuff, and then like everything just, else, Firefly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but we're not here to talk Firefly. We're here to talk season three of Being Human. So, hooray! Hooray! Something else. <laughs> so, um, now if I remember correctly, you've sort of caught up on Being Human. You sort of didn't watch it as it did. You watch it when it aired in the US, or have you sort of been watching it on sort of speedy catch-up type mode? Uh, no, I didn't watch it on TV here. Um, our friend Aaron and I got the DVDs through Netflix, and we kind of we we think we watched season one pretty much together, and then sort of off and on with season two. Um, watching it. I think I think it's available streaming. I can't remember though, so I think that's how I watched it mostly. And then season three, I still have two episodes left to to watch. I'm holding on to them desperately. <laughs> I don't want it to be over. Um, but 
we watched the first what six episodes uh to and from dragon con this year so yeah that's pretty cool see if you've been season one you've done the whole lot you know? Yes. <laughs> well, and we did. We were season one and season no, one. We watched no problem, but yeah. Oh, just, you mean on two and from Dragon Con? Yeah, because obviously that we uh, we went to eight episodes from six. <laughs> so. Right. Right. Yeah. So no, I got home and pushed down a couple of my very odd movies that I watch and put Being Human at the top of my queue, and so the disc is sitting on my coffee table. Yay. So, episode one is Leah. Uh, there's an interesting thing as an aside that uh, uh, up until season three, all the episodes had just got episode numbers. They were just like 2.1 and 2.5 and this sort of stuff. And then come season three, they started naming the episodes. And um, one of the things that's uh, going on at the moment up on the Being Human blog on BBC is that uh, Toby is getting folks to make suggestions for what the episodes should have been called for episode yeah seasons one and two which <laughs> is uh, interesting so anyway um so episode one's leah and uh, leah is played by uh, lacey turner um which probably didn't mean too much to you i'm guessing no it meant nothing to me <laughs> Okay. I thought she was cute, but that was about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, Lacey Turner, before appearing in Being Human, um, well, up to a couple of months before Being Human when she left the show, uh, was in EastEnders. And I don't know if you ever heard of EastEnders, but EastEnders is a soap opera drama set allegedly in the East End of London. Uh, mm-hmm. And it airs four nights a week in the UK and has done for... Oh, I don't know, sometime in the 80s, I think it started. So 30, 20-odd years or something. I'll, um, oh. I might even IMDB this while I'm uh, <laughs> while, while we're talking because I'm curious to know now how long it's been on for because I must admit I watch bits of it occasionally, um, but I'm not exactly a, yeah, an avid fan. But essentially what I'm getting at is that Lacey Turner is a big household name in the UK. Um oh. And that's it's one of the, the uh, 1985, I believe it started. So it's been on for 26 years. Then, so. Um, but yeah, so Lacey had been in the show for quite a while, playing a character called Stacy, and hmm. um, and um, was yeah a very well-known person. That I, I would think that probably most people in the UK that have got a TV set would recognise Lacey Turner. Uh, and that's one of the things that really changed with season three is that a lot of the people in season three are very recognizable people. And you can tell that the show's reached a certain level of recognition within uh, within the industry and also within the viewing public that it started to attract people that are household names. Um, because if you actually look at who's in, I'm just looking down, I'm looking at IMDb now, who's in this episode. Um, and we'll talk a bit more in a minute, but he also introduces McNair, who's played by Robson Green. Robson Green is extremely well known in the UK and was in a number of shows over the years. Um, and, uh, and even was number one in the singles charts. Um, yeah, number one in the singles charts for quite a while. <laughs> Um, yeah, people like Paul Kay, um, 
Uh, you even got Kai Owen um, in the episode as well. That's um, right. I remember that. Yes. I was like, that would be the one person I knew who he yes. was. <laughs> From a, a Torchwood perspective. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, so there's a whole bunch of people that uh, appear in this episode who are well-known outside. I mean, like Paul Kay is very well-known as well. Um, so from a UK perspective, you know, it's like you, straight away you can see from the start of this episode that it's as if the show stepped up uh, a level. Um, and interestingly enough, I've seen um, Robson Green's appeared in quite a few things and been a, you know seems to have been a lot more visible since uh, being being human so it seems to have given his career a, um, a, a nudge again or maybe I'm just <laughs> noticing <laughs> him more than I did before so um, so I guess episode recappy type thing um, I, it starts off Nina Mitchell well it starts off with recap obviously um, Annie stuck in purgatory um, and I'm not too sure if I, I don't know if this is will be included on the DVDs you've got or not. But the up and the run up to the start of the episodes, they showed a series of short videos on the BBC website, all of Annie in purgatory, um, basically uh, talking about what was going on and just building up the tension for the start of the show. So come episode one. Um, you're you're sort of you've got a lot more depth and background behind um, how desperate Annie is getting. So the conversations um, you see with Mitchell and Annie on the TV screen are a continuation of the half a dozen or so um, video clips that we'd seen prior to the start of that. And I think they're all up on YouTube somewhere. I'm pretty sure you can find them on YouTube. Yeah, not having seen those, it seemed. A little odd to me the intensity of emotion that Mitchell was showing mm-hmm. and how concerned I mean they were obviously very concerned for her anyway but the level of the concern seemed a little bit higher and heightened yeah. than I thought was probably necessary like yeah because I had no clue obviously and I still I've not seen them but I'll go look for them now obviously yeah. <laughs> So and so, they they aren't on our DVDs, so they might be on this last DVD as like a special features thing. But you haven't got that yet. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's worth checking them out. So, um, so yeah, so Nina Mitchell and and George move uh, into a former hotel in Wales, um, which uh, is obviously highly convenient given that uh, um, the BBC had moved all its production stuff to Wales. <laughs> <laughs> So just by some happy coincidence, our characters move in the same direction. So, um, so yes, so they're off, um, which is probably also why Kyoin appears in it, because he was probably knocking around <laughs> the same area. <laughs> Not, <laughs> filming Torchwood. Oh, sure, yeah. I'll do a cameo. <laughs> um, I'm just waiting for Gavin and Stacey to show up. Yes, this is true. Well, they are in Barry, so... Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, well, as long as we keep Captain Jack out of it, we'll be fine. So <laughs> I think I don't think I, I could take that much breaking through of the fourth wall between the shows. <laughs> <laughs> be a little so, bit much, that's true. Yeah. 
So um, they go and look around this um, uh, rather dubious uh, bed and breakfast type hotel place that they go uh, um, rent and uh, all, you know, complete with its rather uh, beautiful little sort of um, 70s decor. Um, and, um, and then from there, obviously, things kick off. Mitchell uh, follows a deceased man um, through, you know, through a door back into purgatory, um, meets Leah, who um, I won't say more than this, but it, it's probably worth once you have watched all the episode, you know, right, right to the end, come back and rewatch episode one. Ah, okay. It's, it's quite interesting how much more you get out of episode one once you've watched episode eight. Um, hmm. But um, um, yeah, so uh, yeah, Leo obviously puts him uh, on the spot about you know Mitchell's past, um, but essentially allows him to bring Annie back. Um, George, and then of course that's the I guess that's the A storyline. Meanwhile, you've got the B storyline of George spotting Tom McNair's um, son and uh, and chasing him through the woods before uh, me- meeting uh, Kai Owen and his friends in a well-known dogging area. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, the the. Uh, the even at the time watching it, the, the amusing play and I don't know, a couple of werewolves running for a dogging area. <laughs> um, and then obviously they're putting him in the cell and uh, and then you've got the whole bit with Nina um, turning up to, uh, to to rescue him um, from jail. And uh, Nina, who's desperately trying to keep a grip on herself... <laughs> <laughs> and it's just borderline insane to some extent, which is talking to the policeman. Um, it was quite funny to watch, I will admit. Yes. <laughs> um, and then obviously you've sort of got the other B plot going on with McNair and the background, introducing McNair and, and Tom and uh, uh, and Tom rescuing uh, McNair um, and wreaking his revenge on the people that abducted him to become a, uh, a cage fighter and stuff. So... Um, so I guess in terms of the main storyline, um, yeah, what were your sort of initial thoughts on the whole Mitchell going and rescuing Annie plot thing? Um, I liked it. Um, I thought that they went ab- went about it. It seemed really abrupt. Um, getting him there, like. Oh, one minute they're watching her on TV and the next minute some guy's dying and they decide this is the time. Yeah. So that seemed a little bit abrupt, but you know, I just went with the flow and I kind of, I liked it. It set up the season, that whole bit with Leah and purgatory just set and set up the season really nicely. I think, um, we were really anxious to watch the next episode. That's for sure. <laughs> By the, the whole, time it was yeah, over. The- the wolf shape, shape bullet bit. Yeah, and we're like, okay, so they've introduced all of these werewolves. Yeah. Is it going to be one of them? Is it going to be something completely, you know, unforeseen? You know, is Mitchell somehow going to sacrifice himself for George? You know, that kind of stuff. You're just like, yeah. you know, all these thoughts are going through your head as to what could be going on. So it makes you very anxious to watch the rest of the series, that's sure. It's one of the things that I think, uh, has always struck me about the show, and, and I apologise that I do seem to constantly repeat myself on this. And it's just the amount of content they pack in, 
and the speed at which they move the episodes along compared to what you traditionally get with um, genre shows, a lot of them from the US in particular, where right. the whole storyline of Mitchell rescuing um, uh, Annie from Purgatory, on in any other show, that would have been three or four episodes. Right. They would have dragged that whole bloody thing out right the way from the start. You know, and you'd, you'd have had like a 12, 20-odd episode run, and the first quarter of it would have just been... Mitchell getting Annie back and what right. I like about it is and you start off the season thinking okay the big thing with season three is going to be how do they get Annie back and that was what I was expecting I was expecting at least a good half of season three to be all about what they have to go through and what Mitchell has to sacrifice to get back Annie and it's over and done with in like the first half of the episode and you're like <laughs> you're like whoa okay well if they got that out of the way that quick what the hell else Oh, they've got to get into the next seven and a half episodes. Right. Um, and, and and that's what I love about this show is that it's just got so much content. You know, and you just think, yeah, you could you could drag it out into a lot longer number of episodes. But I really love the fact that it's so fastly paced that you watch it for like, in, you know, best part of an hour and you don't right. notice the time's gone. Right. And I have to say, I really, really enjoy that. And I appreciate that they didn't, do th- several episodes of Annie and Purgatory because honestly, I don't think I could have taken it. I might have turned it off after the second. I would have been like, no, 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 I'm done. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad that's not what that, the series is going to be about. I'm glad they had an idea. It sounds like they had an idea in mind for what they wanted this season to be about, and they've gone with it. And, you know, having an eight episode season versus a 24 episode season you have to pack all this stuff in very concisely and kudos to the writers and everybody who work on the show for doing it in a way that doesn't turn people off. Yeah. Well, it's, it's I mean, just going on, on complete aside, uh, I watched the Cape when that aired recently, um, mm-hmm. in, in part because it has summer in it, you know, right. Hey, you know, Firefly fan. Um, but, um, I must admit, the final episode of the Cape, the last one, you know, that aired before obviously the show got axed. I really enjoyed the last episode because the pace was a lot faster. There's a lot more going on. Things, you know, plot lines being pulled together, and it moved really quickly. And I have to wor- wonder if if they'd approached that series like this with only like a concept of an eight episode series rather than a twenty odd episode series, then would they have got cancelled, you know, because, yeah. you know, they dragged out a lot of stuff. I mean, there were a lot of episodes in there that like, oh, dear God. In fact, my my, um, my Virgin Media box, um, for whatever reason, didn't record one of the episodes. It was like a two-part episode, and it only recorded part two. <laughs> but it didn't really matter because I figured out what I'd missed in part one in the opening recap of, of part two. It's right. sort of like, you know, it's like there's a whole 50-minute like, episode I didn't need to watch. I didn't really miss. And you couldn't do that. If you took one episode out of, an, of a series of being human, you'd be like, you'd struggle to follow, you know, because right. you'll have missed so much stuff. Um, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, I think that's really cool. So, so um, okay. So that's, you know, so uh, Annie's back and you think, oh, yeah, all's well with the world, even though Mitchell is even more, 
screwed up in the head. Because I mean, the, the guy is carrying all this masses of guilt for you know the whole box toll um, murders and stuff, which right. constantly keep getting repeated on TV. Right. Um, the one person that he really wants to talk to about this would be Annie, and Annie's all like, you know. Oh, I don't want to know about your past. You know what's what's behind is behind, and all this sort of stuff. So right. he's got no one to open up to, and I guess as we see as the, as the series goes on, you know um, that really starts to eat him up. Um, right. And um, uh, and not only that, but uh, it's it's a combination of you know that with what all the stuff that Leah laid on top of that around the wolf-shaped bullet and stuff really start to make Mitchell a lot more neurotic and um, <laughs> oh, what's the right word? I'm trying to what the right word for it is. Um, it's, I don't know. I just, angst comes to mind. Yeah, it's angsty and neurotic and... He's um, becoming emo and it's driving me crazy. Yeah, he is actually. God, I hadn't thought of that before. He is re- punch him in the face. I'm like, God, just tell George, come on. Yeah, yeah you're right, actually. This is the season where uh, Mitchell becomes the emo vamp. <laughs> All he needs like is a- black eyeshadow and, yeah. It's true. Wow. We're probably just really annoyed a whole load of people that listen to this podcast and love Mitchell now. So, uh, I'll, I'll no, have half, I love half my listeners from two to one. <laughs> no, I love Mitchell. I think he's great. I'm just seriously, God, come on. Yeah, it's, get it guilty. <laughs> and to some extent, I mean, I do feel for him in a way because the whole thing with the box. I actually, in a way, I don't. You, I've been watching season two. You can't blame. Mitchell away for all the whole box time massacre, because I mean as as I said when I you know when we reviewed the final episode of um of season two, I really thought in that final episode that Mitchell um you know was was going to turn up. And I know he went on a killing spree, but he was a lot less of a killing spree than I really thought it was going to be. Um and. Also, I was surprised that Daisy wanted in the fire episode as well. I really sort of expected it to be a Daisy Mitchell bloodbath. Um, yeah. And it was actually quite calm compared to what I thought it was going to be. Um, because, you know, Mitchell had, you know, had decided he really was trying to go clean. And he got all these other vampires to go clean. And this bunch of, you know, normal human folks come along and fuck it all up. Um, and, and then not only that, but the one woman he could trust completely and utterly betrays him um, and puts his friend's lives at risk and ultimately he loses Annie because of it. So, right. you know, so to some extent, when after learning of that betrayal, the fact that he goes off on, on that bloodlust, I don't think he's been... Yeah, Okay, you can't excuse the killing, but you can sort of excuse the reason why yeah. he was in that situation. So you can feel sympathy for it, yeah. for why he did it, not yeah, know, not the and fact that he did it. Yeah, and that's the reason why, to some extent, you just, as you said, desperately wanting this first episode to sit down with George and Nina and Annie and say, "Look, guys, you know, cards to the table. You need to know this, and if you don't like me after you know it, then fair enough, you know." I'll go, but this is what the truth is. 
But I think the problem is, is that Mitchell is too weak an individual. And it's really odd because if you go way, way back to the start of season one, Mitchell was the strong one. Mitchell was right. the one that carried George and carried Nina and carried Annie. And gradually, as the seasons have gone on, George has grown stronger, Annie's grown stronger, and all the time they've grown stronger, Mitchell has grown weaker. Um, right. And, and, I th- yeah, and he can't reveal the truth to George and Annie because he's scared shitless that he'll lose them. Right. I, I also wonder if um, his hesitancy in revealing the truth to George has to do with the conflict between him and Nina. Because mm. they've never, I don't think they've ever been comfortable together. Like the two of them, there's always a, ten, there's a tension between them. And that, you know, it bears out through the season. But it was, you know, it's always, seems to always be there. Yeah. And so I wonder if that's why he won't tell George. Because he doesn't want to have to deal with the Nina repercussion. Yeah. It's, but I think it's just, it's a constantly reoccurring theme on all TV shows and, and children everywhere. You should learn from this. That, <laughs> that honesty is the best policy. It's because, true. It's just, because if you watch any TV show, every single show, a genre show I've ever watched, your main characters normally end up getting you deep caca because of the fact that at some point they started telling lies and hiding the truth from their friends. And yes. ultimately, it's the constantly reoccurring theme of, you know, you're better off telling your friends the truth up front, whatever the consequence, because that consequence is always a hell of a lot less than what else follows if you don't. Right. Um, well, and, people yeah. that you've been lying to them, they tend to be a lot more angry than if you just told them the truth in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And uh, so, um, oh, on a different note, is this the episode where um, Nina buys all her sexy lingerie and stuff? Yes, I believe so. And they have the uh, oddly abortive yes, seduction episode. <laughs> yes. Seduction scene. Ugh. That was yeah. so awkwardly cute. I was just, that was... Awesome. It's, well, the whole bit where, like, yeah, she gets her hair caught, and then, <laughs> and then Mitchell just—I love that Mitchell just wanders in. I like he just barges it's, in, he's barges like, I need in, the radio. climbs over them, grabs the radio, wanders off, and he's just so task focused. <laughs> it's completely oblivious to the fact that, like, you know, a, a George, bless him, he's just that's it. He just that's it. Sorry, the moment's passed, and like, I, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's no good <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i thought that that scene was it's a good what i like about this episode and the series in general is that it builds all this tension and then something happens that's just so completely silly yeah. that you laugh and it relieves a lot of that tension and then it builds back up so that's yeah. one of the things i really like and it also helps that Sinead looks bloody good dressed like that. But that's just... <laughs> so. And unfortunately, she doesn't seem to wear that outfit again for the whole rest of the season. Well, so. But hey, it's season four. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so, um, okay. So then, as we're talking about uh, George and Nina. Oh, uh, oh. Hold on, sorry. <laughs> And she's back. I don't even know what that was. I just hung up. <laughs> so, all right, go on. Um, 
Yes, so we were just transitioning into. Um, we'll leave that bit in. It's funny. It's fine. It's real. <laughs> it's real. Yes, yeah. my phone rang. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Th- sorry. Uh, so we got the whole Nina rescuing um, uh, George bit, and what's obviously brilliant about that is that they have the opportunity because they're so desperate to let to let this hotel out. That they offer to completely refurbish it and do it up and paint it, decorate and everything, and they turn the offer down because uh, they want the hotel to be available for the full moon, so that right. George and he have got someone to change, and then they're not there anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think that dawned on me, but yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> but I mean, Sinead's acting in that bit where she goes to rescue George is just brilliant because you could just feel how much effort she's having to put into controlling herself in that whole conversation where it's it's one part Nina just being Nina and pissed off Nina that they've arrested her bloke for dogging for god's sake it's like what the hell was he doing <laughs> you know it's like it's like you know you just know the whole bit of I'm gonna kill him I get him home element to it couple with the fact that she's you know 20 minutes away from becoming a werewolf that will rip them all apart. (laughs) 20 minutes away from becoming a very, very pissed off dog. Yes. (laughs) And uh, so I love that. It's some of my favorite acting from, um, from Sinead in the whole season is that bit. It was pretty brilliant. I think the people on the airplane thought we were crazy. (laughs) We were laughing pretty loud. So, but she mm. just does that so well. I mean, and she always has. I mean, that echoes right back to that, right back in that first episode where, um, where George was trying to be all suave and stuff when he was trying to pick her up, um, and trying all the, <laughs> the, the chat up stuff and just completely got taken apart by her, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. but that's that's a different episode. Yeah, I'm extremely happy to be seeing more of Nina. That's for sure. I would, I really, I've liked her since the beginning. And and she's such an awesome person in real life as well. And, yeah. yeah. I was very pleased that um, there was a um, the BBC did like a pre-screening of the first episode of season two, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you could apply online to get tickets and uh, and bits and pieces and stuff. Um, and I got to go along to that. Um, and uh, and she was there. I mean, most of them were actually there, but um, but Sinead spent quite a lot of time hanging around, um, sort of you know, with the fans and talking to them and um, you know, signing autographs and stuff. And she's just such a genuinely nice person in, in real life as well, which is really cool. Um, so I guess the final part is obviously the introduction of uh, McNair uh, as this hard ass. Um, you know, vampire slaying werewolf, um, and his apprentice Tom, <laughs> um, and um, um, and obviously the whole bit where McNair gets uh, sort of kidnapped and put in a cage to fight, um, uh, and that you know poor bloke that they stick in the cage with him who lasts about thirty seconds, if that. Um, yeah. I liked this introduction. I like I like this character a lot, McNair. Yeah. I'm and not it, so keen on his son, but I like McNair. 
yeah, Tom grows on you, I think, as the as the season goes on. But uh, no, the thing about uh, McNair as well is that I I must admit one of the things I was really dreading about season three, and uh, apologies for Robson, you know, um, um, uh, you know, fans out there for Robson Green. Um, but I was like, oh god, it's the it's the guy from Soldier Soldier, it's like Unchained Melody all over again, and it's like I think it's just because um, I mean let's just see if I can find this in IMDb while we're talking. Um, when was when was Soldier Soldier on? 1991. So I was in my mid mid sort of teens sort of thing when that was on TV, and um, yeah, it's sort of like it's the thing that you, your mom and mom, you know, your mom and dad would watch and stuff. It was like, oh god, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and not that it was that bad a show, but it's just I thought, oh, what's he doing in being human? And um, and I just forgotten just how essentially good an actor he is, and he just brings that whole character McNair to life. And I, I totally agree with you, without a doubt. Um, McNair is one of the best characters of the whole of the third season uh, and it would be a much lesser season without Robson Green being in it yeah. um, and, uh, and he does do a phenomenally good job um, of bringing uh, of fleshing out that character um, and making him threatening as well because uh, you know that a werewolf can kill a vampire we've seen it with, you know, with what George did you know um, right. But you've always got the impression that werewolves are lethal, you know, for a very short window in the month, and the rest of the time the vampires have the edge um, until McNair comes along, and you get this distinct impression with, that with McNair, you know, one on one, you know, you wouldn't really give the vampire particularly good odds. You know, it's the first time you sort of—I mean, he's hardcore. Right. he's been he's training he's been training for this so it's yeah. kind of like he's a werewolf for this short period of time and then he's buffy yeah <laughs> yeah so and yeah. uh yeah so and the tension between him and mitchell is just awesome oh yeah because so. essentially yeah my job is to especially because and i think it goes back to what we said before the other reason why mitchell can't reveal what happened with the box tunnel to to george is that he's been told he's going to be killed by some wolf-shaped bullet. Right. You know, George and Nina are both werewolves. Along comes another bloody werewolf and and his son, Tom. Yeah, and this other werewolf is on a constant mission to kill anything vampiric. And yeah. if he finds out for a second that Mitchell's the guy behind the box tunnel, then screw his newfound friendship. He will take him out. Exactly. Um, exactly. And so there's that tension right from the offset that Mitchell wants him gone um, and uh, and obviously they, they build on that and the bit where Tom comes and helps rescue him and stuff and McNair escapes and um, sort of the, the bloody violence of that to some extent really cements that you know um, you know this isn't another George type werewolf this is a whole different animal really yeah yeah yes yeah i really like the introduction of these the two new the two new werewolves and i think from what i've seen of the season so far you know assuming you know because i haven't watched the last two episodes um it's just building up and up so yeah 
So, have you got any other thoughts or comments on episode one of season three, or anything you think of that uh, we've missed or not discussed? Uh, if you want, it touched a little. We can touch a little bit on the um, cage matches. Oh yeah, and, that's true. And you know the fact that this was something that the vampires did a long time ago, and then it was banned, and now it's back, and kind of the changes that it's uh, that it kind of shows in the vampire community. Yeah. You because know, this focus is pretty pretty uh, sharply on the werewolf thing, but and not so much on the vampire community. So. That's a good point. I hadn't, I hadn't actually thought of it from that perspective before, but you're right. There's, it, it reflects the fact that whatever there was obviously some level of control in the vampire community that banned that in the past. Right, uh, for and now whatever that control reason. is gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they've moved. I mean, they've obviously moved to a different area. They moved away from Bristol. They're in a um, yeah, sort of a different sort of vampire chiefdom type thing, but right. you get the impression from, and I can't remember which episode it is when um, Mitchell's approached by the, the old vampires that want him to uh, um, emigrate and go away. Um, I, think want, I think it's Adam. If, the if, it, if it's in second, yeah, I think it possibly is the next episode, but um, but yeah, you get the impression there are. There is still this overarching senior level of control over the vampires, but for whatever reason, they've decided, oh, what the hell, you know, um, you know, and just lifted the lid on some of these things, or at least they're more willing to turn a blind eye than they right. were in the past. Uh, and how much that is because that, you know, they're worried about losing control. Um, yeah, it's odd and, to think that maybe Herrick had some of that control, and now that Herrick's gone, mm. all of these, you know, all of these elder vampires can go crazy. Like, you know, maybe they wanted to, but for some reason, crazy Herrick <laughs> wouldn't let them. I don't know. Well, it could. Be, I mean, I mean, Herrick's control was only really supposed to be around Bristol, wasn't it, to right. some extent? But he always. But if had he was an elder, plans. yeah. Well, I don't know if he was necessarily an elder vampire, but maybe it's just the fact that. You know, Herrick used to keep a lot of. I mean, you got the impression that he was well respected around the country, and maybe, um, you know, his plans for what he was planning to do with, you know, the mass conversions and everything else, and the respect he carried, and all these things helped keep the other vampires in check. And now a lot of that's gone away. Um, you know, the the elders are worried about losing control. Um, and so therefore maybe some of some of the, it's like all these things. If you're, if you're desperately trying to cling on to control of something, you know, you're willingly will give up some of the things that aren't too difficult for you to give up. It's not going to hurt the elders too much to sort of say, Oh, what the hell if you want to go and, uh, you know, um, start kidnapping werewolves again and treating them like shit go right ahead if that means right. that the the rank and file of vampires are like yeah fine we don't need to rock the boat we're happy with the status quo because the guys at the top of legs have a bit more fun then all well and good there are other areas where they probably would not would not want to relinquish as much control over but 
Mm. Um, I can see them, you know, I can see the, like, the, the powers that be from you know, that perspective happily easing up on things like this if it allows them to uh, uh, keep to keep power, you know. Um, yep. Because uh, obviously there's a lot of stuff that's shaky, but no, I hadn't really picked up on that, so thank you for that. It's not something that I'd thought of was uh, <laughs> seeing it from their perspective, so... So well, anything, you know, this is yeah. it's a show about ghosts and werewolves and vampires. You kind of have to look at all the perspectives. Yeah. <laughs> so, anything else you can think of? Nope, I think that's all I've got. Cool. It was a good. It was a really good introduction to the third season for sure. Excellent. Well, okay. Well, I guess we'll we'll wrap it up. Um, I'm not too sure if we have a promo or something. If we do, we'll run a little promo at the end before the credits or something i guess but um thank you kerry for joining us yeah you're welcome thanks for having me and um hopefully we'll get another episode out in a couple of weeks time and uh keep doing that right the way through to the end of season three um the intention is if possible is to try and get all of the season three episodes reviewed before the start of season four so that for the first time in four seasons, we can actually try and recover some of the episodes um, as they air. And the other good thing is we've never wanted to do that in the past because of the huge delay between airtime in the US and airtime in the UK. But yeah. it was a lot closer for season three. And I'd imagine for season four, it will be a similar thing. That there's probably not going to be a lot of time delay between um uh, the US and the UK air dates. So. Yeah, well, hopefully BBC America will get their stuff together. <laughs> okay, so thanks again, thanks, Kerry, and uh, thanks again, everyone, for listening, and uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. All being well. Thanks. We'll see you later. Okay. I'll, I'll see you later, guys. How to continue a television series after a major actor has left the cast. Part 4, The Robin of Sherwood Method. Remove the character from the scripts and replace him with an entirely similar character. Create a highly elaborate scenario that puts the new character into the same situation as the original. The transition is completed when the replacement character adopts the same name as his predecessor. For more about British science fiction television, listen to the British Invaders podcast at www britishinvaders.com Being Human Cast is a non-profit podcast. Being Human is owned by the BBC and Touchpaper. No copyright infringement is intended. Music used is from Podsafe Audio. You can contact us at feedback at beinghumancast.com or via our website www.beinghumancast.com Okay, yeah. Yeah, we'll be here. We'll see you later.